Welcome to WHRA, What the Heck is Resilience Anyway? I'm Connor. And I'm Julie. Welcome back. Uh, this is episode three of our conceptual episodes. Yeah, series. of our core episodes. So today we're talking about what, Julie? The adaptive cycle. The adaptive cycle. Yeah, we are doing an audio descriptive description of a highly visual concept. <laughs> so as you're listening to this podcast, feel free to do a quick Google you know, adaptive cycle resilience, adaptive cycle hauling, because might help you out. There's just one picture that really makes it all clear. So. Yeah, I think that that visual aid's really helpful. Extremely. But we're going to do our best. I think we'll do a pretty good job. Connor, you were saying that you have an ingenious way to describe the adaptive cycle visually. Well, personally, I think it's an ingenious way. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Feel free to tell us, listeners. Yeah, feel free to give us feedback on on the success, I suppose. Yeah. Okay, well, stay tuned for that. First, we're going to talk a little bit about the adaptive cycle. Mm -hmm. So the adaptive cycle is, think of it as a figure eight on its side. right? So an infinity that. sign, basically. Exactly, yeah. an infinity sign, but slightly distorted. Mm -hmm. So usually it's depicted with the, the right half, the right loop there, as uh, larger than the left loop. Okay. And that better reflects the or conservation phase, which mm -hmm. we're going to get to in just a moment. So the purpose of the adaptive cycle is to help people understand what the structure and the processes of a complex system, which is dynamic over time, what that looks like. So it's a very visual method mm -hmm. for letting people visually understand yeah. how these dynamic, ever-changing systems right how they are constantly changing, but yeah. they're changing in a somewhat predictable way. Right. So it's, you know, it's what we've been talking about where resilience and the study of ecological resilience is basically saying, hey, everything changes all the time and that's okay. Sometimes mm -hmm. we can predict those changes. Sometimes we can't, mm -hmm. but it's worth looking at. And so that's kind of where that this adaptive cycle falls into the field of ecological resilience. 100%. And it also builds nicely off of alternative stable state theory, which we covered in our last episode, yeah. as it can be used to show how systems reorganize after collapse, and they can develop either similar structures and processes, mm -hmm. or they can develop different structures and processes completely. Right. So for example, last time we talked about an alternative state where a landscape could be either a grassland or it could be a forest. Now those two different ecosystems have very different species filling ecological roles, right? Uh, there's a different food web, there's different relationships among species, even the physical processes between grasslands and forests are different, right? And yet that same spot of land could be either a forest or a grassland, depending on certain inputs to the system, especially fire, for example. So the adaptive cycle helps us to visualize how all of this happens. And there are four different phases to the adaptive cycle that was originally created by Halling. Uh, per the theory, since every system is dynamic, it's constantly changing, right? And as systems change, they transition between one of four different, what we call phases, that word that I mentioned earlier. The R phase, the K phase, the omega phase, and the alpha phase. And every system is in one of these phases at a given moment. Right. So transitions to new phases can occur over a very short period of time. So I could transition very quickly from 
a re, uh, reorganization phase, mm-hmm. the R phase, to a conservation phase, the K phase. Or it could take a very long time. So there's a question of temporal scale there. Right. And definitely a spatial sp- scale component because systems exist at all. Spatial all scales. All levels of scales. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's great that you hit on that, Julie, because panarchy theory is something that we're going to talk about in a few future episode. Mm-hmm. And that deals with the relationships that connect adaptive cycles at those different scales, both spatially and temporal. Yeah, my paper goes heavily into that. So I had to put the brakes on there so we don't get too far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> but right. I think that this is going to lead really nicely into an understanding of panarchy. Awesome. So we're going to explain what each of those four phases that I mentioned, what each of those phases are and what they look like. And so here's where my ingenious idea to help listeners visualize all of this okay. is, comes in. Awesome. So, Julie. Yeah. Shall we play a game? Sure. I'm <laughs> suspicious. <laughs> That's a quote, right? From yes, yes. War games? Okay. So let's pretend to play a game. We're going to play a game of Monopoly. Okay. Uh, family favorite. A family favorite, right? Uh, there are better board games out there that ref- to ref- to reflect the adaptive cycle. Absolutely, right? um, but photosynthesis in particular is one that I think really springs to mind here. But uh, Monopoly is really widely yeah, known. I'm, yeah, yeah, so, it's probably the one that most people will be familiar with. Exactly, Good I think example. listeners connect with one that a lot of people are familiar with. Yeah. So I want you to picture in your head a game board for the board of Monopoly. Okay. And you feel free to pick a token. You know, whatever. Oh, I'll be the thimble. The thimble? Definitely. It's a classic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, very nice. I'm going to be the race car Sounds for good. our purposes. And let's say we've got two other players on the board, too. We'll mm-hmm. go with uh, you know, the shoe and the wheelbarrow. Sounds great. Okay. So we've got four players on our board, and we're just starting off, right? Okay. So picture your board in your head. Mm-hmm. Picture your four tokens sitting on the go. Now we're going to move into the R or reorganization phase right. of the adaptive cycle. So this is where a system might not really know what it's going to be. This is where you've got a lot of potential. There's a lot of potential. Okay. That's a key word, absolutely. Gotcha. And all of the resources are freely available. Uh, the components of the system haven't yet accumulated right. any or tied up any resources in mm-hmm. your system. Mm-hmm. So whether that resource is you know, energy, light, perhaps, or some kind of a, a particular mineral, maybe yeah. nitrogen, potassium. Biomass, and yeah. Absolutely. Any of this stuff is freely available and out. And our components of our system are competing to tie up those available resources, right? So the players at this stage, in our Monopoly example, are going around the board trying to buy up properties. The properties are our freely available resources in this context. Sure. So as they go around buying up properties, they are rapidly accumulating the available resources. And once it's like once you buy property, once you put your house on it, no one else can, right? So it's 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 yours. It's 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 taken off the market. The system uh, components are Mm -hmm. taking up resources. Gotcha. So in an ecology context you have grasses moving in, mm-hmm. trees growing up, mm-hmm. taking the available nutrients, nutrients and, and light, light availability and water and all that sort of thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we transition now to the K phase or the conservation phase. And this is the point, this is the phase where the system is defined by stable, rigid structures 
and processes that conserve energy. So we go from quickly gathering up resources and uh, organizing and collecting them into a phase where not a lot is really going on, right? All of these resources are bought up or tied up. So in our monopoly example, all of the resources are our properties. Mm -hmm. So all those properties have been largely bought up, right? And now we're going around the board, we're building our houses and hotels, but really not a whole lot is changing. This yeah, is, you sort of know who's got the most property. There's not too much left for you to buy. You're hoping you land on that one, you know, boardwalk left sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, you might lose some money here and there. Right. And then you're going to gain money as other tokens on the board right. and on your properties. So this is like the boring part of the game, this right? Is, yeah, this is where things have sort of settled into... A routine, a how routine. they're going to be. Exactly. Yeah. And partially because, you know, you're just kind of doing the same thing over and over. This is kind of, this part seems like it takes forever. Right. right? Yeah. This is a very long time. And it's similar with the conservation phase as a whole. Mm -hmm. This is the longest phase in the adaptive cycle where mm -hmm. we see um, a system trying to maintain the, the status quo. Yeah. Boring is almost a good way to put it. Like a... An old forest that's been established and is growing and is staying in that state for quite some time. It's kind of boring. It's not it's not novel plants moving in. It's not no. a colonization of bare ground. It's it's just the as you're saying, the status quo. It's the status quo. It's a very stable, very rigid system. Things are tied up, all the you know, the light, the you know, portioning out has been little done. changes might occur mm -hmm. might occur, but overall pretty stable. Sure. Not much going on. So, we move on now to the third phase. Very exciting. This is the omega phase, or the release phase of the adaptive cycle. So the release phase is defined by a collapse in the system's structure and processes. Some kind of an external input has come in, maybe an invasive species, maybe a fire, a tornado, hurricane, people... Mm -hmm. uh, or, alternatively, an internal disruption has caused a disturbance that the system can't absorb. Okay. So some component in the system has collapsed and the system can't just handle it. So it's no longer resilient. <laughs> it's interesting once you get to that sort of late stage uh, conservation where things seem you know, stable, like they've always been this way, yep. but you've lost all of that potential. You are so far away from that, those first early resilient stages that yes. everything is just on the precipice of falling apart. There's no longer any sort of innovation occurring. All of the resources are tied up in one thing or another. And so, yeah, any small disturbance or shock to the system is going to send the whole house of cards tumbling down. Yeah. So for a Monopoly game, we have bankruptcy. <laughs> The poor shoe has landed on Boardwalk okay. a couple of times now. Right. And that player has no money left. Sure. So they have to sell off their houses and hotels. That's still not enough. So mm -hmm. they have to sell off their properties or mortgage their properties to right. try and generate that cash. Flow, right. right. Well, you're trying to sell off all this stuff. You have to pay for that overpriced hotel room, the room <laughs> service that Kevin McAllister put on your tab. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. It's funny. When you started this example, I was like, what is the Omega phase in Monopoly? And I realized my only context for playing Monopoly was when I was like five years old, six years old, seven years old, eight years old with my dad. And 
we if it ever got near bankruptcy we would just give each other money because we want to keep playing because i was like a six-year-old because i was like no we don't no one loses we just keep doing this for eternity and like giving you know, like stealing money basically from the bank and all that sort of thing so oh my gosh. i realized i've never actually played monopoly in a true adaptive cycle for wow. <laughs> that uh might confuse you i then, know uh, to we had a very resilient system because we had no like physical const- or like rules or laws controlling <laughs> our behavior in the game. Oh, that's funny. Well, that's that's some extreme house rules. Right it there. really is. Yes, that's what happens when you play with a six-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you guys ever play Monopoly Junior instead? I think that I think we just played Monopoly, yeah. but modified it to the whims of a six-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> modified Monopoly. Yeah. So for the reorganization phase, or the alpha phase, Mm -hmm. uh, this is our fourth phase of the adaptive cycle. After the system collapses in the omega phase, it reorganizes. Now the system may look similar to how it did before the collapse. So we have a forest system, a fire moves through, the forest regenerates back into a forest system, right? Or it may take on a dramatically different set of structures and processes as an grassland grassland <laughs> or a desert or what have you yeah an sure. alternative an alternative state. ecosystem something that looks very different and obviously has different functions and obviously has different species and this sort of thing absolutely so in our monopoly game the alpha phase is reflected by the demise of that one player our poor shoe <laughs> couldn't pay kevin McAllister's bill and has been removed from the board. Somebody else has bought up all the shoes properties. Right. And that other player is now much stronger. Yeah. They quickly get those properties back up in shape. Right. The houses and hotels. Right. The whole community ecosystem there looks different. It's fundamentally different. Right. And in usually a very short order, Mm -hmm. we see that stronger player quickly bankrupt the other players. Right. And so what we wind up with is a game board that is completely reorganized into a new system. So the race car is gone. (laughs) The wheelbarrow is gone. Now we just have the thimble alone as the dominant. The business genius that I am. (laughs) (laughs) So that new system is dominated by one player, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of multiple competing players. Right. And so we have a monopoly. Yeah. Hence the name of the game. So that might be a really good analogy for kind of an invasive species thing too where sometimes you get almost a monoculture of some species that has not sure. been there before and all of a sudden it's the only or nearly the only species in an ecosystem and kind of the same thing yeah Monopoly. absolutely yeah totally new system nice i like that example i think that's awesome so those are the fundamental components yeah. to an adaptive cycle right so we have the adaptive cycle in general just to recap and the adaptive cycle involves an acknowledgement of how systems are constantly changing, Mm -hmm. constantly going through these four phases. Right. Right. So we have the R phase, which is where the system's rapidly organizing. We have a whole Mm -hmm. bunch of uh, free resources available that haven't been tied up by some component to the system. The potential is sort of unlimited. Unlimited potential. Unlimited power. (laughs) And as we traverse the adaptive cycle, all of those resources are tied up and we see 
the system shift into the K phase or the conservation phase. And that's where we have all those resources tied up by different components. The system's trying to maintain the status quo. Things get more and more rigid until eventually some kind of disturbance occurs and the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. And when that occurs, we have the omega or collapse phase. And so all of these resources that were tied up become freely available again. Uh, The system starts to reorganize quickly into uh, something either similar to what was there before or a totally different and new system. And that's where we see the final phase, the alpha phase, where the system uh, reorganizes into something new. Right. Yeah, and I think it's really important for our listeners to keep in mind the last two episodes the ecological resilience and the alternative stable states, it's pretty clear to see where these things all come together. So when we're talking about um, in that late K stage where a little bit of disturbance can tip that system into a new, you know, collapse and then a new form. So the mm-hmm. amount of disturbance it can take is the resilience. So you Absolutely. can sort of see as a system gets more rigid and things are more tied up and there's less potential, you're losing resilience. Mm -hmm. And then when it collapses and reorganizes, it might go right back into the same kind of system. Right. Or it might be that ball and cup thing we talked about where it gets pushed over into the next, you know, forest. Yeah, exactly. Forest to grassland to desert, something like that. So these are not isolated ideas. They're just ways of conceptualizing this sort of, ecological resilience, dynamicism of systems. And this is a really nice, simple visual way to talk about some of these changes. Right. They all fit under the yeah. general resilience framework. Absolutely. Umbrella. And I think that this is going to make even more sense once we, or it's a really good setup for our Panarchy episode coming oh, yeah. later this season. Because mm-hmm. Panarchy is just adaptive cycles with scale. Yeah. So a nested set of adaptive cycles. Nested set of adaptive cycles. So if the adaptive cycles seem too simple for you, get ready. <laughs> stay Come back tuned. and stay tuned. We'll be talking about it soon. Awesome. Oh great. Well today, Julie, yeah. I believe that you have the foundational paper for us to I talk do about. have the foundational paper. So normally with these foundational papers, I try to go pretty far back. Ecological resilience literature kind of started in 1973, you know, with Howling, we've talked about it. Um, And so I started looking around that time period, trying to find the starting paper, you know, trying to find the history. And that might be one, if anyone out there is a history buff, if you want to write a history (laughs) of ecological resilience, it would help greatly because I cannot (laughs) find the continuity of papers sometimes, the continuity of thought. But so the first introduction that I was able to find was in a book by Halling, again, Mm. in 1986. And I'm not saying this is the first mention or that he didn't... I think that this this idea didn't pop out of thin air. People have been discussing related things for a long time. So I'm not trying to say that this is the start. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a book called The Resilience of Terrestrial Ecosystems, Local Surprise and Global Change, which is a great name. Yeah. But that's a book, and we do papers. And I couldn't find the book anyway. So, you know. Both good points. Both good points. The second place that I found most referenced when people discussed adaptive cycle in more modern papers was the book that we all know and love, the Gunderson and Holling 2001 book, Panarchy, colon, Understanding Transformations in Human and Natural Systems. So this is the book that it's the classic book on panarchy. If what we're talking about really resonates with you, go read this book. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, the piece of work on panarchy. The book. Yeah. And probably also the 
piece of work on adaptive cycle because there's panarchy and adaptive cycle are so closely related. But again, a book. We tackle papers. So <laughs> right. I am taking a slightly more modern paper than I would prefer for this podcast, but it's around the time that panarchy and adaptive cycle really started to take off. And that was 2001 with a paper by Holling. And it was okay. called Understanding the Complexity of Economic, Ecological, and Social Systems. So that's what we're going to start with. He started this paper basically talking about um, a really good reminder for why we care. Kind of a three-point bullet list for why we care about resilience, the adaptive cycle, and panarchy. Mm. When we're looking at systems, Pauling recommends that we be as simple as possible, but no simpler than is required for understanding communication. Okay. Adaptive cycle, it's just a figure eight on its side. It is a very simplistic, easy way to look at huge dynamicism and change. Absolutely. You know, and this paper sort of came out, and the 1986 paper kind of came out when people were sort of having this debate between um, the world is random and chaotic and we cannot predict anything. Mm-hmm. And then the sort of hauling side of it was like, yes, there's lots of randomness and chaos and this sort of thing, but there's frequently some simple ways that we can model some of that. Hmm. disruption right right utilizing scale utilizing simple models stuff like that so mm-hmm. that's point number one point number two is be dynamic and prescriptive not static and descriptive <laughs> which is amazing I be like dynamic and prescriptive not static and descriptive monitoring of the present and past is static unless it connects to policies and actions and to the evaluation of different futures so we should be studying the changes that have occurred the collapses of governments and societies and ecosystems so that we can inform the future. And we need to acknowledge dynamicism over staticism, which is what we always say in this podcast. And point number three is embrace uncertainty and unpredictability. Surprise and structural change are inevitable in systems of people and nature. Mm. Again, dynamicism. So that's such a great intro. And I think that really plays to why we should care and how sort of what we've been talking about links with the adaptive cycle. So this paper is fundamentally about panarchy. It's kind of like the almost the intro paper for panarchy published the same year as that book. I think this is basically just the paper accompaniment to that book in many ways. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. You can probably already tell what we're going to get into with panarchy later. Mm-hmm. But again, that's something for later. And so I think that Connor did an amazing job of describing, you know, what's R, what's K, what's Omega, what's Alpha. So I'm not going to go into a ton of depth on that sort of thing. I'm going to go into sort of the interpretation that Holling prescribes these things. Okay. He says that there are three properties that shape the adaptive cycle in the future state of a system. One of them is what he calls the wealth of the system. This is the inherent potential of the system that is available for change since that potential determines the range of future options. So what we were talking about with the R phase, or that's the potential phase, there's still constraints on that. So, you know, a, a, you know, a, a desert in you know the hottest and driest regions of the world might be able to shift states a little bit but there's probably also some pretty fundamental constraints so it's sure. not gonna become a rainforest overnight it's not the uh the like the star trek transporter where you can sure uh materialize objects that this is a reference that i have no background oh, for but i will trust you on that, that. <laughs> hopefully the listeners do he calls that the wealth of the system systems with more available resources have more potential for change okay so that's point number one And then the internal controllability of the system is number two, the degree of connectedness between internal controlling variables and processes. So this is that degree of uh, rigidity that we were talking about in the late K phase. How many things are connected, um, sort of holding on to one another, how much are things tied up, and then how much um, 
are they susceptible to to perturbance, to disturbance? And then three is the adaptive capacity. That is the resilience of the system, a measure of its vulnerability to unexpected or unpredictable shocks. It's related to resilience. Um, He says resilience as achieved by adaptive capacity determines how vulnerable the system, system is to unexpected disturbances and surprises that can exceed or break that control. So again, the three properties that he thinks sort of determine um, the ground le- the groundwork that you need to describe an adaptive cycle in a system are wealth, controllability, and adaptive capacity. So okay. basically potential, connectedness, and resilience. All things mm. we've been chatting about. Yeah. And then he goes on to describe, anyone that wants to look up this paper, go to figure four. This is the adaptive cycle. <laughs> I'm not going to dive into it, but you've got your fundamental infinity shape mm-hmm. with your what they call the for loop that r to k phase that you were talking about mm. that's called the for loop and the omega to alpha phase is called the back loop so for okay. loop is that sort of potential entrepreneurial shift an organization getting more rigid getting more static getting more established more the gathering of resources right. and the creation of you know and then the the back loop is that release and reorganization figure four everybody give it a look and he the way that Holling interprets the adaptive cycle the typical adaptive cycle, the for loop is very slow and the back loop is very fast. So he he represents this with little arrows on the adaptive cycle. Many tiny arrows means slow and big arrows means fast. Um, so he says that that sort of process of accumulating resources and rigidity and becoming very static is a very slow process. Hmm. It's an old forest growing over 200 years. Right. But right. the collapse that occurs recent release and reorganization can happen essentially in an instant. Wildfires happen you know, relatively like that. Mm-hmm. And the colonization of grasses or something does not take a very long time. Sure. So there's a speed component to this as well. That's very interesting. Um, and I think that's something to keep in mind with resilience and agricultural resilience concepts in general always is scale. Absolutely. Because even if you think something has is static and has been static for your whole life or the life of you and your parents and your grandparents, and your great grandparents, there's things happen on the scale of millennia and seconds. Right. So something to keep in mind. It's um, not all measured in human lifespan. Exactly. We are we are a poor yardstick by which to measure ecological processes <laughs> <at> sometimes. <laughs> so, Connor, you did such a good job describing the depth cycle that I'm not going to dive into it too much. What I am going to do is give some of the examples that Holling gave okay. and then a little bit of his why. Why do we oh, care yeah, again? Great. So he uses the example of some companies, which I think was really interesting. Mm. He uses the example of IBM, AT&T, and General Motors, and said that they accumulated rigidities to the point of crisis and then attempted to restructure. So business restructuring Mm. can be, uh, you know, those companies still all still exist? Do General Motors still exist? Okay. Uh, Point of ignorance. (laughs) But so all of these companies still exist, but have gone through almost collapses or near collapses, which is to say that some, this uh, adaptive cycle can be adjusted through human ingenuity sometimes. Another example he gives that did collapse was the Soviet Union. Mm, yeah, <laughs> got sure. too rigid, got too big, and could not withstand external perturbations and disturbances and collapsed. And then reorganized into a series of many smaller countries. So that's an example right there. Yeah, sure. So in the end, Holling's point is really that these things need to be studied he states that alpha is the least studied, that sort of potential phase, oh, yeah, okay. and that most experiments, most reorganizations, most things in that sort of um, R phase, mm-hmm. uh, or alpha phase, sorry, they'll fail. It's a time of crisis and opportunity, and that we need to study these 
you know, these attempts and these early, you know, things that don't go fully through the cycle and there's something to learn from that. Hmm. He says, if we can understand these cycles and their scales, it seems possible to evaluate their contribution to sustainability and to identify the points at which a system is capable of accepting positive change and the points where it is vulnerable. Then becomes possible to use those leverage points to foster resilience and sustainability within a system. So basically, he makes this point a bit as well, is that humans are kind of a intelligent wild card in some ways, where, you know, you're talking about a forest, you know, our forest grassland desert example we keep using. Mm-hmm. The trees aren't making a lot of choices. You know, there's right. there's choices of of where to grow and, and exp- you know, branches going where to get sunlight and, you know, relationships with mycorrhizal fungi. And, you know, there's like these small choices, but a lightning strikes and then the wildfire happens. And, you know, this is, this is more of a predictable cyclical sure. thing. Humans can study the adaptive cycle, can see when societies and ecosystems are getting too rigid and can pull back a little bit on that. And they can also, you know, I, th- I think that a lot of the Silicon Valley entrepreneurship, you know, venture capitalist stuff is essentially trying to exploit potentials, oh, you know, yeah, for sure. technology potentials and that sort of 100%. thing. So we really are a weird wild card when it comes to the adaptive cycle, but that's our strength. And that's why we need to study this so that we can, sort of modify the cycles when we need to. So potentially modify our behavior yep. knowing yep. these different phases of the adaptive cycle. Absolutely. And making sure that we don't become rigid to the point of being able to be tipped into a disastrous cycle at the drop of a hat. Sure. Yeah. And so I think that was Pauling's point, more or less. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. And I think that, and I skipped over probably 75% of that paper because it was mostly about panarchy. Uh-huh. So I focused on his adaptive cycle portions. So this might be a paper that we return to in a few episodes. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Very interesting. So what have you got to share with us, Connor? What's our modern interpretation? Our modern interpretation. Our, mine was only 19 years old, so you know. <laughs> well, actually, funnily enough, we're going to build off of the uh, descriptions you had awesome. of... Uh, the companies, right. all of this more social side of mm-hmm. things. And we're looking at navigating the adaptive cycle, an approach to managing the resilience of social systems. I think I've read this one. So this is probably a <laughs> Yeah, I probably have. It's a big paper in the space. Uh, Brian Fath, Carly Dean, Harold Katzmer, probably screwed those names up. But yeah, well, well we anyway, do our best at all times. Please right. correct us, listeners. <laughs> So this is from uh, Ecology and Society, published mm-hmm. in 2015. And I found this paper to be pretty interesting because it looks specifically at the adaptive cycle in a social context, okay. what we were just talking about at the end of your segment. Right. So typically we use examples from ecosystems, yeah. ecology, yeah. stuff like that. It's where the field started and it's what you and I know, so That's hard right. to avoid. So this paper takes a very different approach by looking at social systems For example, those companies, businesses, stuff like that. It discusses the adaptive cycle initially by discussing Holling and his original version of it, right? Uh, But then they move on to talk about a modified version that was created by a paper, Burkhardt et al., 2011. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, The modified version is intended to better reflect the steep climb, the long climb, that long period that defines the conservation or K phase. Sure, the R to K sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So in our more traditional adaptive cycle, oh, we okay. still have that infinite loop, right? Yeah. And so uh, they felt that the K phase wasn't quite adequate, 
adequately reflected, um, even enlarged with that right half of the loop, right? Mm -hmm. It really should be more of a, a longer loop. So what they did was they, they took the adaptive cycle and bumped it up 45 degrees and then ah. lengthened Gotcha. The K phase. Just make it a little more representative of how long it takes to accumulate capital it, and connections. Exactly. And then the other major change was the conversation conservation phase is squiggly. Okay. So <laughs> interesting. <laughs> it's not just one narrow path, right? It's not entirely rigid. Uh, there's no predetermined course, right? There's sure. There's making... no. There's not linear right. growth at all times. Exactly. So in the social context, there's people making different decisions yeah. and there's different uh, things going on. So there's just kind of this squiggly aspect to it that isn't really reflected in the original version. There's lots of little reallocations of resources, for example, going on. Right. So the general purpose of the article is to combine the adaptive cycle and resilience theory and assess the ability of systems to navigate all four phases of the adaptive cycle and what the implications are for those systems. Now that is really key is the success is measured by the ability to navigate all four phases. Interesting. So it assumes that the system continues to exist. Interesting. So in our more traditional context, we look at alternative stable states. Right? Yeah, it might. So if the system collapses. Right. It might go change something fundamentally very different. Yes. Here, we okay. are not assuming that. So we're, this is assuming that that can happen, but it's looking at case studies of persistent systems? Uh, yes, okay. that's pretty close. Mm -hmm. It's It does assume that the system collapses, doesn't exist anymore, something else can pop up to take its place. Mm -hmm. It's not like trying to override right. the old, Say it doesn't happen. old adaptive yeah. cycle or anything like that. It's, that's not the purpose. Uh, the purpose is to look at how a social system, so for example, a company or a corporation, how it navigates all four phases of the adaptive cycle so that it continues to perpetuate or exist. So at the omega phase, there's not any sort of a assumption of a shift to a new system because... Right. Failure means dissolution, which means cease to exist, so it's not relevant. Absolutely. That makes sense. So it's, it's basically what we were saying with Holly wants us to learn from the adaptive cycle so that we can help those systems we want to persist continue to persist. Exactly. Awesome. Exactly. Key difference between this social-oriented adaptive cycle theory and our you know regular adaptive cycle theory is the system has to survive collapse in order to be resilient. And so there's no door open for an alternative system to take its place. So as a reflection of this, what I found particular, particularly interesting is the, the authors have specific definitions or maybe more contextual specific definitions of the R, K, Omega, and Alpha phases. So for the R phase, that is new beginning growth. Okay, So they're all pretty similar to our usual definitions, but just with that additional social tinge, that uh, kind of business-oriented right, tinge. Sure. Uh, the K phase, the conservation phase, that is conservation and maintenance of the status quo. Makes sense. Same thing, right? The omega phase is dissolution and confusion. I like there's just confusion. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck's going on? 
And then alpha phase is reorganization and innovation. Very so business, very businessy business-y. words. But I mean, that's great. I think that you know, that's kind of what we're trying to do. We don't, you don't need the language of ecology for these things. It's got to exactly. be translated to every field. Yeah, they're just trying to reinterpret systems that we're already familiar with, concepts right. we're already familiar right. with, for a different audience that, uh, that uses a different jargon. So the paper discusses each of these four phases in turn. For the R phase, it talks about growth. And then it also talks about what the paper calls poverty traps. And this is true for each phase. There's always some kind of uh, definition that they talk about. And then there's some kind of trap Mm -hmm. that a corporation, agency, some kind of social entity can fall in to lose resilience. For the K phase, it's about controlled development, maintaining the status quo, all that good stuff. Uh, And then we have the issue of rigidity traps. We look at controlled development, we look at maintaining the status quo, and then the trap is rigidity trap. For the omega phase, the omega phase is what tests the system's ability to survive in the face of some kind of extreme disturbance or disordered collapse. For social systems, usually the onus is on leadership to identify which components are very vital to maintain system integrity, uh, what are needed in order for the system to continue functioning, continue thriving, and then their responsibility is to act to protect them. What I kind of read between the lines there is, you know, what employees do you need to maybe lay off versus what employees right. do you need to keep? What are essential functions and where do we want to direct this reorganization? Right. So the alternative there is the dissolution trap. Pretty self-explanatory. The system dissolves. Company goes under, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Bankruptcy. <laughs> yeah, to go back to the monopoly example. <laughs> and then finally, we have the alpha stage in which the authors introduce the concept of reorientation. So the system can escape from collapse and then dissolution by moving along a new trajectory for future development. So for example, a company that's dealing with very heavy financial losses. So for example, a company that deals with significant financial losses, repivots their product offerings, their services to a new direction to better satisfy demand. Then the authors also talk about a couple concepts called systematic memory and modularity. And these are both key to maintaining resilient systems in the face of collapse and reorganization. Systemic memory, uh, which is by and large cultivated through the undergoing of different prior phases of the adaptive cycle. So uh, think of it in like a political science context. Mm-hmm. We have institutional memory. Right. So there's a lot of people with a knowledge of the system and the processes and how all of this works. Retaining uh, components like that, people like that in your company or your agency or what have you are key to uh, continuing to undergo the adaptive cycle. So they list as an example in biological systems Your uh, memory is in seed banks that are stored in the soil, Mm. uh, neighboring communities that can move in and repopulate system, right? Uh, That sort of a thing. So you have to be able to reorganize and access your your stored institutional memory, your stored capital. And then in a system with high modularity, which is our other key aspect here, uh, the memory in the system is retained, which helps to prevent any sort of continued failure of your system, of your business, corporation, agency, uh, what have you. So you're not essentially 
continuing to reinvent the wheel mm. or be directionless, right? You're not trying different products in every different sort of directions. You don't have new personnel constantly coming and trying the same ideas, but they didn't know they were trying the same ideas because all the old people are gone, that sort of thing. And all of that leads directly into what's called a vagabond trap. So that's our fourth trap, right? The Mm -hmm. fourth trap is for the reorganization phase. And there's little to no system memory. All those old people are gone, right? And we just have waves of new people. Revolving door, whatever they call it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, constant revolving door. People going in, people coming out. The system doesn't have much direction. The components of the system, all of our worker bees don't have any sort of direction. There's no vision for how this is supposed to go, what this is supposed to look like. That's the vagabond trap. So we're in kind of a perpetual state of trying different ideas, running around, our dog chasing its tail, going nowhere. So that's the author's description of the four phases of the adaptive cycle. And, and their the, corresponding traps. If the you corresponding get. traps. And so those traps are essentially saying, so this paper is sort of saying going through the adaptive cycle is a bit of an inevitability, as we've mm-hmm. been discussing. I think it assumes that. Yes, that's right. the case. And so, and that's not a problem as long as you know it's coming, you can plan for it, you have institutional memory, you have people there, you have flexibility and resilience. But if you fail, you might get stuck somewhere in the adaptive cycle, and that's one of these traps. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. So another aspect of the paper that I liked, in addition to the description of the adaptive cycle and the different phases and their kind of special take on it, was the examination of the principles in a system that are important for maintaining resilience of the system. So keeping that system functional, uh, in existence, right? We don't have that dissolution trap, right? Uh, And the authors really boil it down to one key takeaway, and that's that in order to make a resilient system, you have to avoid the traps in each phase. Makes sense. It does make sense, right? Uh, Poverty traps for the R phase... Rigidity traps for the K phase, dissolution traps for the omega phase, and Vegapon traps for the alpha phase. To sort, in order to successfully navigate all all these traps and maintain resilience, the authors think that the companies, agencies, nonprofits, you know, whomever, what any social system, right? Uh, they should consider three things: competencies, resources, and culture. And they lay out in tables three and four. Uh, different examples of what they think these things look at look like. So those are on tables three and four of this paper. So if listeners are interested in learning more, I think that those are good places to go right. to look at these. I'm going to mention a couple of them, but mm-hmm. there's a big long list. So I just wanted to say up front, feel free to look. <laughs> yeah, we're, we are not an exhaustive source on the topics. Bro. That's right. <laughs> So, for example, Table 3 looks at the competencies, resources, and culture for navigating through the adaptive cycle as applied to business. And I find it kind of interesting because these are definitely businessy terms. So, for example, at the growth stage, so that's the R, R phase, remember, a competence would be uh, looking at good design. So looking at scalability, simplicity, reproducibility, very businessy terms, yeah, right? Uh, Your resource might mean something like investments and capital for growth and Mm -hmm. diffusion. Makes sense. And then culture, creating a culture of entrepreneurial spirit. 
which I loved that last yep. <laughs> Which, it did seem kind of vague to me, like, hmm, what does that mean? But, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's somewhat the problem of talking about these um, slightly higher ethereal ideas, right? It's, oh, navigate the adaptive cycle, you know, cultivate good culture and, and make sure you're resilient and stay away from that rigidity. It's like, how? What okay, do you, yeah. how? Yeah. What, what does that mean? So that's probably a lot of the future direction of this kind of work is really applied adaptive cycle and panarchy studies for different contexts. Absolutely. I mean, business especially. This is, like you are saying, this paper, I think the acknowledgement that these uh, crises will happen is crucial Absolutely. for business and social systems. Taking these theories and applying them on the ground, yep. I think, is the next phase <laughs> in the adaptive cycle of resilience <laughs> of, theory. Of resilience theory. Hopefully we don't get stuck in a, uh, perhaps we're stuck in a bit of a rigidity trap right now with Ooh. its with its, you know, housing and scholarly literature. We got needs a bit of a release and reorganization. Perhaps with a podcast. Oh, example, yeah. <laughs> we can <laughs> break through those barriers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to keep that adaptive cycle going. <laughs> so in, in other examples too, so we have like, for example, the K stage, the K the conservation phase. Mm -hmm. You might have knowledge of best practices or you know, having available training and routines for right. tried and tested, tried and true methods, right? Yeah, if you've got stuff going on that you like, you need to maintain it. Right. You want to keep that status quo going. So that's an example of competence. Mm -hmm. And then your resource for the K-phase might be tools for training and creation of scenarios, emergency plans, software, Makes for sense. example, procedure. And then the culture would be uh, agreement and ac acceptance of standards, making sure those standards have purpose. They're not just bureaucratic red tape. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And then in the omega stage, this is where things get interesting. <laughs> what do you do if your business is in a crisis, right? right? So for your competency, the authors list the art of improvisation, which I think is a really interesting thing to and. Maybe not necessarily something we factor into hiring a business leader, for example. Right, absolutely. But is actually really important and crucial. And for resources, uh, you need the access to the minimum number of resources necessary for survival, right? You want to keep them in, in your black and not go yeah. deep into the red, right? In terms of culture, it's your ability to leave old scripts and rule books behind, you know, taking all that stuff that we just discussed about sure. adhering to certain standards, ripping them up and trying to find a new path forward. Learn from history, but getting rid of the red tape that's been holding you back, basically. Yes, yes. And then finally for the alpha stage, innovation, experimentation. So your competency would be your ability to quickly experiment and prototype. Uh, your resources would be just you know, basic means for resources. You need that cash flow for experiments, right? Makes sense. And then finally, uh, for your culture, you want to create a culture of empowerment from above is the way they describe it. But you want that leadership that's open to trying new things, unconventional methods and routines. Listening sort of to your employees, listening to your coworkers. Yeah, exactly. I do like one other insight in this paper that they describe before we wrap up here. Mm -hmm. So we, we talked about the four different phases, the way they are kind of socially tinged and what the definitions of all those look like. We also looked at the competencies, the resources, the culture that's necessary in order to maintain a resilient system, right? So one thing I really liked was one of the insights they make to resilience. 
And so they say, ultimately, resilience is linked to some dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. Between slow variables that represent the underlying structure of the system and fast variables that reflect dynamics or you know, changes in the present. So social systems like businesses, agencies, they have to take the fact that they are undergoing the adaptive cycle into account in order to be successful. And I thought that that was really powerful that they kind of, they say right there, hey, business leaders, <laughs> you are undergoing the adaptive cycle. Right. Knowledge is power. If you know that you're transitioning through all this, you can better prepare yeah. your system uh, or your business to be successful in the future. Yeah, so it's going to be a sign of a good business mind. leader in the future probably as the adaptive cycle is more widely utilized. You know, do you acknowledge that difficult times are going to come or are you sort of blindly, we're going to experience exponential growth forever and never have any reorganization? You know what I mean? Right. So, awesome. so I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah, I really like that paper. I think that's a great application of where a concept in resilience is not just ecological or societal or, you know, it's, it can be applied to... You know, a business can be quite small, and this right. can absolutely fit in as part of their planning and processes. Mm -hmm. Should we go into In the News? Let's do it. All right. I don't know exactly when we're going to release this podcast. Sure. So this might date us a little bit. But okay. as of the day that we're recording this podcast, which is Mar March 9th, 2020. Yes, it is. We're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, <laughs> as we're all aware. So my article... Is from Scientific American. Okay. And it's called, and so I'll preface this by saying this is not specifically adaptive cycle. This is resilience. Sure. But these things are all interrelated. Very, it's rare to call it good. Very <laughs> This article is called The Poor and Marginalized Will Be the Hardest Hit by Coronavirus. It's by Sandreo Galea. And it is an article that describes how the U.S.'s healthcare system is not resilient mm. to coronavirus. And part of why it's not resilient to coronavirus is because we have this idea of, or in the U.S., not everyone has health insurance. Not everyone has access to health care, and everyone has access to time off, PTO, et cetera, sure. to get access to health care. And that makes everyone less resilient to not just coronavirus, but to, you know, to flu outbreaks, to, you know, anything. Some kind of sickness. Any kind of illness. So I'm not going to go into too much depth. This is an ever-changing situation. But basically, mm -hmm. if we don't give people the option to take time off work, you know, gig economy workers, people who don't have PTO, people who work in service positions, uh, don't have health insurance, can't afford to go to the doctor, anything like that, are going to, A, have very low personal resilience to this. They are going to be around people, you know, serving people, exposed to the virus at higher rates than pe perhaps people who work in a um, more of an office job with, health insurance and a mandatory work from home sort of thing. But if you work in a fast food restaurant and you have a shift that day and you can't call out and you know there you said you're going to be fired or something like that due to not being able to if you don't come in, mm. then that lowers the community's resilience because that might be someone else who gets exposed and pass it on that sort of thing. So it's sort of a look at Someone goes through the fast food line and yeah, then they up the get exposed, that, that sort of thing. So I saw a lot of these articles. There was this one. There was one in the New York Times. Um, you know, basically, how prepared is the United States for coronavirus? There was one in CNN called "Self Isolate or Get Paid." That's the choice for gig workers in a virus outbreak, and it's a big problem for the rest of us. So that mm -hmm. title right there pretty much says it. Where. 
people who have to work lower the resilience for all of us. And so it's just something that maybe on my soapbox a little bit, but we need to be taking into account when we design systems and businesses and things like this, where we are all interrelated and something like this lowers the resilience of the system. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, point there, Jim. Yeah. I, I'd extend it further too, though, and say, you know, there's just some jobs that you can't isolate or shut down. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. Police, fire, oh, healthcare, right? 100%. Uh, so you're just always going to have that risk, right? You know, some jobs definitely lend themselves better to taking time off right. or like working for home, for example. But you have to minimize risk. Right, right. And I don't know, I I wonder, having no gift of foresight here on March 9th, 20th, yeah. <laughs> how things are going to shake out. Uh, you know, are we going to see companies start shutting down factories in the U.S. like they right. did in China because of right. coronavirus fears, you know? Um, hard to say. Hard yeah, to say. or if, com- if companies start... Uh, closing down like fast food or something like that mm-hmm. are those people who are paid by the hour rather than you know yearly salary sort of thing um, are they still going to have access to rent money and food money if you know they're required to not come into work due to illness sure. concerns there's a wide variety of it's a uh, ripples in a pond right exactly so there's a wide variety of impacts exactly but I think that it's a really good illustration of how Concerns are not always personal when you live in a society. Like you have to design social structures and social welfare and this sort of thing for resilience of the whole system rather than just, you know, thinking about individual people and their financial success and whatnot. So it'll be interesting to see. To be determined. To be determined. Highly to be determined. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. So which one? What did you find this week? So mine is a little less gloom and doom. I feel like I had to do with this, though. <laughs> Uh, mine is actually more about the ongoing retail apocalypse. Oh, interesting. Dealing with. Uh, so I was reading an article about the retail store GameStop. Mm-hmm. So you go in and you typically purchase buy video, games video games in right? person. Yeah. Uh, well, the industry has been moving away from a physical model of distribution. Right. right? Uh, a lot of games are purchased online now. And then you have like DLC sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Where you even purchase purchases within games, even right. So what I read was GameStop, which has been losing profits dramatically, shockingly enough, since their primary bread and butter has been and take move, transition to a new sure. area. One thing they are trying now to bring customers back in is a sort of a experience type of store. Mm-hmm. So they are establishing a set of concept stores where you would walk in, you can demo games on like computers and consoles and stuff like that and uh, use some computer time, almost hybridizing like an arcade experience with a selling experience, right? So they're still trying to move product, but they're trying to take it in a different direction. So it's very much that social business adaptive cycle that your paper was talking about. Exactly. They're really trying to avoid the... Was it the dissolution trap? Absolutely. I think it connected really well with some of the stuff that we were talking about with that with that paper and uh, just sort of the social dynamics involved. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, hats off to them for being willing to undergo some experimentation and, right. and see what sticks. Now, 
will that ultimately pay off for them? Right. You know, time will tell. But if they did nothing, would probably lead to the dissolution trap eventually. Yeah. So yeah. gotta give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, good to, good for GameStop. <laughs> we'll see, right? Yeah. We'll see. So what are we talking about next week, Connor? So the next topic will be heterogeneity. Ooh, exciting. Yes. Feeds in well to anything ecological, not just resilience as well. Yeah, it's very important for yeah. ecology in general. Yeah. Awesome. So. Sounds great. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. we should have uh, more interviews coming up too. Yes. Exciting. Very yes. exciting. So thanks for listening, you guys. Yep. Yeah. Take care, everybody. Bye.